you're on with The Mentors. This is Sergey and Vadim, and you're listening to a podcast where we interview founders who have succeeded despite having no entrepreneurial experience to try to understand how they overcame obstacles that every entrepreneur faces in the critical early days. Uh, today's story uh, and guest is unlike any other. He's only a freshman in college, and I, when I met him, I knew that uh, we had to have him on the show. When he was a senior in high school, he started a consulting company called Groupacity Consulting and ended up attracting customers like Boeing, Chanel, Red Bull, Uber, and more. He's also been a TEDx speaker, and he started a business club in high school that ended up growing to over 230 chapters and 25,000 members. I'm sure you're excited to hear about how he was able to accomplish this at such a young age. And when you listen to this podcast, you'll he'll, you'll realize that he does not sound his age at all uh, and is wise beyond his years. So now I'm excited to introduce Bobby. You started your first company at 14 years old and most 14 year olds they just i mean they just want to play video games right they want to maybe talk about hitting on girls not actually go and hit on girls just talk about it uh but you somehow got in your head that you should start a business first of all i don't even know i guess it's legal to start a business when you're 14 but what gave you that idea and why did you think you would be capable of doing it at such an early age well so Honestly, it wasn't really a business back then. So back when I was 14 years old, um, previously a few months earlier, I was playing tennis. I was playing very competitive tennis. Uh, I was playing on the state and national levels. And what happened is I actually got into just a really big downturn. I had a few injuries, couldn't play as well. Um, and I just completely stopped the whole tennis game. For someone that was playing anywhere between four to eight hours a day, um, that's a lot of free time I have on my hands now that I usually did not have prior. Um, so with that opportunity, really, I, I took that time and was like, okay, wh- what else am I interested in? And even before then, I was always interested in business. Um, I never looked at it as something that was unique. I thought like, oh, everyone's interested in like how the stock market's doing, how companies are doing, what Amazon's doing next, what new product is being released. But really, that was something that I was very uniquely interested in, and I tried to take advantage of that. Um, I was developing at the time, so when I was 13, actually, I released my first app into the App Store um, just as a winter uh, winter break project. I just wanted to see like, if I could do it, like how hard it would actually be to put something on the App Store. My app was absolutely horrible. So, like, Did you build this app yourself, or did you find developers, or did you build it yourself? I built it myself. So I, um, it's funny. So I took the whole winter break. I was like, can I build an app within two weeks? Um, that's how long our winter break was at our high school. And so I took the two weeks and was like, I started developing. First problem I had, I had an iPhone. I wanted to make an iPhone app. Uh, I did not have a MacBook. Um, so that is the number one problem because you need a MacBook to develop apps for iOS. And so what I did instead is I coded. I learned everything on YouTube learn how to code it, coded it on my Windows computer in some other IDE uh, platform. And then I went to the Apple store and actually went on there, used Xcode on one of their machines that they had as a demo um, and just copy and paste it, fixed up the few things I needed to, and then packaged it and exported it um, 
and the rest of the process is taken care of, taken care of online. So my dad happily uh, paid a $99 fee that you have to pay for publishing an app on the app store. And I published my app on the app store. That was like my first step of like not letting simple problems hold me down and like actually continuing with what I was doing. Quickly thereafter, I learned like, hey, I'm not the best at everything. I have friends that are way better at developing. I have friends that are way better at designing UI, UXs, logos, whatever it may be. I have other friends that are good at film and music and all of these things. Um, so after working on a few of my own independent projects and asking a few friends to help me, um, I realized like a lot of my friends that are really good at these fields aren't developing their own projects. They're just doing them for class projects or whatever. They're not building their portfolio. And that's stuff they really need to do in order to get into college, get jobs, do whatever they want to move on with that career. But the prob- main problem is they're looking at hobbies and they weren't monetizing these ideas um, and these skill sets. And so I started a originally supposed to be a club at my high school um, called Second Gen. Uh, the name came from the fact that I was like, this is the next generation, the second generation. Um, also, I think the first group of people were all um, second generation immigrants as well. That kind of worked out. And then uh, it was, it was, we wanted to be next gen, but like that was already taken. I think it was like six different clubs that had uh, next gen in the name. So we were like second gen works. And so we started that club at our high school and it was pretty interesting. Like we, me and a couple of my friends that all had skill sets would get together maybe every three days, two days and just work on side projects, maybe for like a website for a club or posters or even a music video. And uh, we all helped each other get new opportunities. For example, um, because of some connections, we were able to get uh, the musician at the time in our club. Uh, his, we got his music off of SoundCloud and put it on Spotify and Apple Music through just online tools and resources that we helped each other find. Um, we helped each other with different tools and resources and clients and whatever it might be. Um, very little clients at the time. It was mainly family and friends that needed work done. But um, it was definitely a first stepping stone to what I later did um, and what I'm doing now. And so from there, that club expanded very quickly. Just because we started branding our name on all the projects we did, a lot of people saw our name and wanted to be a part of what we were doing because they wanted to learn. They wanted to be a part of this movement of kids actually doing, creating things and adults actually using our stuff and actually caring about what we did. And so... Um, that club grew quickly out of my high school to the local library where 12 of the local high schools came together and about 60 to 70 of us would show up every two weeks at the library and like work on projects, update each other. And pretty much that meeting was used as a pitch. So every time we have new members come in and every time people are working on different projects. So every project leader would come up, pitch their idea or talk about what progress they've made in the last two weeks to everybody. And then they would go sit back down and then, once everyone went through that, we uh, we'd all go around and just help each other or talk to each other about their ideas and give them advice if we have anything to say or comment or um, critique anything that they're doing. And then two weeks later, we would do the same thing again, and that's kind of how it uh, happened. I just want to take a step back and uh, you know highlight a few things. First of all, uh, when you were starting off in the very beginning, you know a lot of people. 
they think, oh, I don't have a certain skill, so I'm just going to find somebody that does have that skill and delegate the work to them. But you did eventually do that. But in the beginning, you taught yourself how to code at 13 years old, uh, mind you, and uh, kind of faced those problems yourself, understood intimately what it takes to go through that experience. And then you found people that complemented your skills that you could sort of delegate things to so you can focus on the things that you're really good at. Um, But on top of that, the next step that you took was because you had those friends, you already had a little community that you were building, so you organized it a little bit more. And the next step, it sounds like, was to put together this club. And really, anybody that's in high school right now that's entrepreneurial, that wants to uh, scratch that itch, can do that right away. You know, put a club together, and the school usually has resources to kind of help you market it uh, and get the name out there through bulletins or whatever it is, and you'll start attracting people. And that's exactly what you did. And you said, I guess it eventually grew to 60 or 70 people, which is incredible. And now you are on a roll growing through word of mouth, it sounds like, and um, getting some customers. Now, clarify a few things for us. At what point did you start getting people to pay for these things that you were doing? And um, also, what was sort of the next level after that? So you have a bigger group now of people, 70 people getting together fairly consistently now outside the school. But at what point did you start getting paid? And then sort of what was the next level after that? Yeah, so getting paid didn't happen for quite a while. Um, A lot of the work was our own independent projects. And if anyone got paid, we never tracked that stuff. Um, uh, And we didn't do a good job of focusing on that. I think our focus was at the time mainly like, working on our own passion projects because money wasn't really something that we valued at the time as much as we do maybe college or post-college. And so uh, this was my sophomore year where within two months, we've already hit 70 members. And this is near the end of the sophomore year. So we consistently did the two-week club meetings over the summer. And then over that summer, we also established the director's board. So pretty much the director's board for the whole organization, uh, no matter what high school or what they are. The thing is, close to the end of that summer, we outgrew our uh, the library. The library could only hold about 150 people, um, and we consistently weren't able to um, hold everyone in that uh, library. So what we ended up doing is we took the last month of August before school started to create a guide. Uh, it was a second-gen uh, chapter, chapter guide, pretty much how to start a chapter at your high school. Um, and we pretty much launched that via Facebook, and did all of those kind of like runs of like posting on Facebook and posting on local news channels. I think we were on the Dallas Morning News uh, for uh, for like a small section of someone else's article. I also went on to do a TED Talk, which really launched that whole chapter program, um, a TEDx Talk uh, at SMU, as well as TEDx Sports Work. Um, and what that allowed us to do is really grow our chapter program because day one that we released our chapter guide, I think we had... 12 to 14 clubs sign up. Um, and then within three months, we are already close to about 60, 70 clubs um, that had signed up. Of course, we weren't doing a great job of like making sure, like seeing how many people signed up and all that stuff. It was more like, okay, we can't handle the growth. We have to keep on updating the guide, making sure like it's relevant for any type of club size and making sure it's a best fit all type of solution. Um, which honestly, at the, now that I think about it, like, wasn't probably the best move. Um, we should have been a little bit more strict on like what it means to be a second-gen club and what it means to be um, a, a club of our brand. For example, like we didn't require anyone to call their club second-gen. You could have been the entrepreneurship club and like use our guidelines and be an active member under our program. 
Uh, you could have any size amount of members. You could have membership fees. You could have $0 membership fees, $100 membership fees. We didn't really, we gave recommendations, but they were never strict on that stuff. Can you tell us how you actually got those speaking gigs and uh, how were you right off the bat good at speaking? Did you have some experience doing that? We actually just published an episode on how to how to be an effective uh, public speaker. Uh, and so I'm curious about that. I mean, obviously you were very young. Uh, did you kind of have that skill innately or did you do anything before that that helped you build it out? And then how did you get those speaking opportunities? Yeah, so first getting those speaking opportunities. Um, honestly, I just, uh, for the TEDx stuff, I really signed up for those speaking opportunities. And then second is because a big part of our chapter at the time was bringing in local community entrepreneurs and all that stuff. I built a lot of relationships and a lot of people were interested in me coming and speaking to their organizations or like the Lions Club or the Kiwanis Club. Um, and that stuff just built up over time. I ended up uh, speaking in crowds of, I probably spoken maybe 150 times anywhere in crowds in front of 30 people all the way to, I think the max was 6,000 people at the Texas Association of Student Councils, uh, my final year of high school, uh, where every student council in the state comes together um, and talk about new ideas to bring back to their high schools. And so really those ideas were just uh, a snowball effect. And I got really, really lucky um, in getting those. Uh, but some of them, I think like, for example, TED, the TEDxFNU, I literally signed up an audition for. Um, and I think what really helped was the story um, that was made over time. And for someone my age, like what I was doing at the time when I was 13 or 14 really helped the fact that like, okay, this is something that needs to be told. And I got really lucky in terms of them wanting me to be on that page because I think over 200 people applied for the TEDx SMU spot. And I think, or two of us got to present at um, the actual event. And so that was a really big deal for us. But not only that, at the time I was also a very, very, very bad speaker. Like, absolutely horrible. But the cool thing is TEDxSMU is a very large event. Uh, they host it in the largest auditorium in Dallas. Um, there's over a 1,000 people that attend this event, um, all business professionals, all people that will lead me to future connections. Um, and so it was really important for me to do well. Um, and us being kids, Ted made the smart move of hiring coaches um, for all of the kids' speakers. Um, that were present. So we uh, we met up with our coach twice a week for about eight weeks prior to the event. And that's kind of how I got um, good at speaking, practicing. I practiced my speech at least every two days. Um, I quickly learned I suck at memorization and was way better at winging things. Really at the time, um, it was more about like just putting my story together. Uh, I definitely said a few jokes that got no laughs. Um, <laughs> but... Over time, um, over the 50, 60 speeches that I did, I got really good. The only downside is TEDx, SNU, the biggest speech I've, or second biggest speech I've ever done, is probably the first and probably one of the worst speeches I've ever done. So it, it, was, it was a give and take, but it definitely led to a lot more opportunities. I was able to get way better at speaking. And now I'm lucky enough to have the skill to public speak and be able to be put on the spot right away and speak immediately. And it's funny, I love public speaking, but I'm actually an introverted individual. A lot of people drain energy from me. Um, and 
But the funny thing is public speaking actually gives me a lot of energy and gives me the motivation to like just go out and do crazy things. Well, yeah, especially if you're if you get to a point where you're able to captivate an audience that can be really rewarding. But I think you said that you're good at winging things. And obviously, it's important to be able to do well in uncertainty, which is actually entrepreneurship as well, uh, and be able to kind of uh, respond to questions and, and speak in a coherent way in a way that is compelling to the audience. But when you, after you, let's say, maybe didn't do as well in some of the speeches, what did you change? Uh, you know, let's say you had to go and speak about a particular topic. Clearly, it sounds like you were practicing it, uh, your speech, every few days. And we always say, you got to practice. Don't try to memorize everything. That typically doesn't work. And one of the pieces of advice we give is focus on remembering themes. And those can be cues to help you kind of get through, let's say, a 30-minute talk. But yeah, what, what was the structure for you there? If you knew you had to talk about a particular topic, what kind of preparation did you do to to make sure that you don't bomb? That's definitely a great question. And I think the main thing is originally when I started, I did what I learned in school. I wrote out my whole speech like an essay and then tried to memorize it. Um, but as many themes in my whole life, uh, school was never the best choice or answer. Um, and so what ended up happening is over time, my outlines or my speeches got significantly shorter all, all the way to something that can fit in four or five lines. And I pretty much didn't care about the, like, I got really good at just being able to use the right words at the right times. So I didn't really need to practice my phrasing or my, my uh, thoughts or ideas. It was mainly like I could really, it rose off the tongue because I've said it so many times. I've done enough elevator pitches. And I think a good, good session I did with one of my mentors was he told me to tell me about a time and my story at, at second gen at the time. And then every day for two weeks, he told me to do that same thing, but he gave me different time limits. He gave me 30 seconds, he gave me five minutes, he gave me 10 minutes, he gave me 20 minutes, he gave me two minutes, um, he gave me five seconds at once. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> but that really helped me. That really taught my brain how to react to timeless and constraints, but also be able to explain something very quickly. Because if you can explain something in 20 minutes and 10 seconds, you can definitely explain it anywhere in between. And so that really helped me articulate. Also, my presentations significantly changed. Um, I no longer use words on my presentations. My presentations are 100% pictures, GIFs, or blank screens now. So, Bobby, I want just to bring it back to sort of your, your original story. At what point did this go from a side project to an actual business? And, and then tell us how it evolved into what you're doing today. Yeah, so um, I think a big stepping stone was uh, the summer after my junior year. So right before my senior year, um, we were hitting amazing numbers. We were, uh, I think, around 200 clubs at the time. We had clubs in every continent, I think, except for South America at the time. At that same time, was really the catalyst because we started partnering with a lot of organizations and uh, products and companies. We worked with uh, MIT Launch, um, which is the MIT Entrepreneurship Program. We worked with a lot of co-working spaces in the area. We were able to work with brands like the Hybrid Coffee. And like what we, what we were able to do is like not only did we get sponsorships from a lot of these students or a lot of these uh, programs, uh, we got sponsorships from a lot of these summer camps and programs that were targeting students with products. And they, they gave us a good sponsorship amount. Um, we also hosted a lot of hackathons, which brought in a lot of sponsorship money. Um, and that's what really it turned into a business, I would say. 
was I created this program, I created this community, and now I was trying to monetize this community. What I quickly learned is very hard to do uh, run a business on sponsorship and on a community. Maintaining a community is very difficult. Um, and that is why in December of my senior year, so halfway through my senior year, we decided to end the international organization that represented second gen. Um, we out, uh, we opened up all of our curriculum guides, our, our curriculum, our chapter guides, our mentor guides, um, publicly and just put them out on, uh, Git books on Google. Um, so anyone can access them and they don't need us. We also spent three months after that, uh, calling every single club and also our most valued member to talk to them like, Hey, uh, we're going, we're going through this transition. Let us know what we can do to help you be sustainable independently um, and work on that as well as really focusing and honing in on what was the right thing to do. What, what mistakes did we make? Um, because at the time, what Second Gen International was, was 14 kids in high school that never ran a business before um, and just had different skill sets that we wanted to impact thousands of people with. Um, we had over 25,000 members, which is an amazing number, an amazing community that we built. Um, and I still help out in those Facebook groups today. I still comment on posts. Anytime I'm in a new city, I grab coffee with anyone that's available. So I think what that really helped us do is learn how to do feedback. Um, we were maybe a little late on the feedback part, but we got the feedback. In January of the following year, um, so second semester, I wasn't, I wasn't going to wait any longer to start a new business. I started an agency. Um, so I took the 15 best people I knew out of our club uh, in the Dallas area that were really good at what they did. And I just started a consulting agency. And I was like, okay, I, I need, I want to build products. But I don't have two things. I don't have a team that's solid and I don't have money to build those products. Um, so what better way to build a solid team and get money than consulting because now my idea was if I could build products for other people, I can definitely build products for myself. And so I started that agency and over time we were privileged to work with Boeing, uh, Chanel, Uber Eats, all of those companies are great names, but I don't think we learned very much from those companies. We, we learned a lot more working with uh, the startups, the small businesses, um, the businesses that, had one idea and then the next day would change instead of some of the enterprise clients where it would take maybe 20 meetings and five weeks to get one thing done. Whereas it took 24 hours to get one thing done with the startups. Um, so let me take a step back. So yeah. uh, when you say January, do you mean this January in 2018? No, 2017. 2017. So and you were still in high school at the time. Yeah. So currently it is, April of 2018. So I'm about to finish my uh, first year in college as an as 18 year old. So, so you mentioned some some pretty prominent brands there um, with Boeing, Chanel, Spotify. How did you get them to pay attention to you? And how did you get them to take you seriously as such a young person? What did you do to to actually get deals made with them? Yeah, so first thing is, because of all the connections and networks I made, I had a lot of networks, uh, connections with agencies in the local area. Um, agencies love outsourcing their work to people with the same skill level but are 10 times cheaper. And so that's pretty much what we did initially was a lot of these companies, uh, a lot of these agencies would 
outsource some of the tedious tasks to our agency at a much lower rate. These are like development and design agencies, brand agencies. What kind of agencies are we talking about here? Yeah, so we were product and ad. So we did uh, anywhere between social media, Facebook marketing, filming, filming to commercials, photography for real estate, headshots, whatever. We also did app design, development, and overall strategy as well for a lot of the startups that are targeting the millennial and Generation Z market, um, which I hate saying like I'm a Generation Z entrepreneur, but like we did help a lot of companies that were targeting these uh, markets help on seeing like what would work best by testing them out on our college campus, testing them out on high school campuses or whatever the market was at the time. Can you share uh, any numbers with us? Because I'm sure people are going to be curious, you know, here you have someone that already experienced some success, grew a 25,000 member community in high school, which is pretty incredible. Most, uh, I would say, I don't know any anyone in high school that's been able to accomplish that. So already pretty accomplished. You start your first business, senior year of college, uh, with the intention now to actually make money. Uh, how did you figure out the pricing? It sounds like sort of your the way that you were competing at this point was through price. And so you were, I guess, 10 times cheaper. But what? how'd you figure out the pricing? Can you share any specifics and numbers? So, you know, what was, you worked with some major enterprise clients, but what was maybe the biggest value customer and how much revenue were you gen- were able to generate kind of in the first uh, three, six months of operation or, or whatever you're comfortable with sharing? Yeah. So um, our contracts were anywhere, anywhere between $100 to our largest, which is about thirty thirty $38,000. Um, so a very large amount of contracts. The thing with these contracts was uh, a lot of our team members were working on multiple projects concurrently. Um, not only that, uh, so in our first year, we were just shy of a six-figure. So we were in the 90K range. Last year, we did a 67% profit margin um, on those figures. And so uh, a lot of that profit margin was because I don't take a salary, and if anything needed to be done last minute, I did it. Um, over time, over all of this was happening, I took a lot of like part-time jobs. So I worked part-time for Make School, learned a lot about sales and like development. Uh, Make School is a large boot camp program that's based out of San Francisco. They have programs all over the world. And so what I did is like the reason I took these jobs, even though with so much going on, I, I just tried to learn new things. And so when I started my agency, right off the bat, I had a very base minimal skill in every single division that we offered work in. Um, and so the first year, uh, a lot of that stuff was me doing the work. I just necessarily didn't have my team doing it just because if I could do it, I did it uh, just to be more profitable. Uh, definitely 67% is a crazy number, but um, that's kind of what it, uh, what it looked like. Uh, and I think last year in total, we had about uh, 58 clients. That's incredible for anybody starting any business at any age, especially though for um, for someone at your age. But I can see why. I mean, you did a lot of things right. Uh, the fact that you you know didn't draw a salary and instead reinvested into the business uh, and focused on taking these side hustle jobs, not just to you know get a little bit of cash, but to develop some kind of additional skill. And it sounds like with every project that came along, you uh, focused on developing these skills so that you understand sort of the minimum quality that you needed to have for your customers. So that sounds really cool. I want you to, first of all, I want you to answer one question for me. Why did you go to college? 
because clearly you experienced some success here. And I think a lot of people, kind of like if you're an 18-year-old and you just got drafted into the NBA and you're going to be a millionaire, you decide, you know what, I'm going to forgo college. So clearly you're generating some revenue and you decided to go to college. So why? And two, talk about what you, you know, I met you uh, at a conference not too long ago and you told me something that you told your parents. So a goal that you have while you're in school. So, so talk a little bit about that. I think it's a really cool story. Let me quickly touch on like the whole salary thing as well. I, I think that's the number one reason why college students should start businesses. We don't need a salary. We don't have a family to care for. We don't have a mortgage to pay. What better time than to start a business in college where all of your money can be back and reinvested into your business? You can't say that any other time in your life after college. And so uh, that's a really big stepping stone. And the reason I went to college, uh, number one, I have a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm from an immigrant family, right? So college is kind of like forced onto. It's like it's a given, right? Like you, there's no choice um, when it comes to that. My parents are very keen that I went to college, and I think uh, that's probably the biggest reason why I went to college. Uh, and the second is, like, college isn't a bad place. Like, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, nah, college is lame, it's, it's boring, it's not for me. Um, well, at college, you have access to a lot of resources. Um, you have access to a whole new pool of students and talented individuals that you can definitely leverage, especially for the business I was doing. And you also have these alumni networks and connections that you're just going to be able to jump off of. And if you take the right steps of following up and moving on, you're definitely going to be able to build these relationships and like, get something out of it. And the third reason was because it was free. I was happy enough to receive a scholarship. Um, don't get me wrong. My grades were complete trash in high school. <laughs> Did not receive scholarships for the academic side of my life. I received scholarships, of course, for the extracurricular part of my life. And I had this deal going on. So my parents, of course, very strict, very uh, just straightforward, like in terms of socially, like you go to college, you go to life, you get married, you get a good job, move on. Um, we have a deal. If I can generate a million dollars in revenue. They will let me drop out. And so what I've done is pretty much built out a plan so that I can hit that million dollar in revenue mark um, before probably during junior year, uh, early junior year, um, through a lot of, a lot of uh, automation, a lot of um, scalable SaaS product ideas that we're building on right now. Um, and it's kind of interesting, this whole dynamic. And like, it's kind of like this, this running, like running competition that I have because I haven't been telling my parents very much about what I'm doing. Um, just because I want to be like, one day I just want to be like, guys, I hit a million. And they're like, wait, what? And like, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it goes out as how I have it in my head. Probably not. But yeah, that, that's kind of like the whole situation with that. And it's definitely like, it's a struggle, but like, Part of me is glad that I'm at university, um, meeting new people, learning new people. I've, I've hired more people. I've hired, um, I think, about 22 people from my university, and that's because I just met them randomly through classes or through different activities on campus. If I wasn't in university, I'd probably be hanging out around the university all the time. Just because th there is a certain social aspect. Uh, of course, like for me, I'm also not the type of person that likes to be social. Like I said before, I'm kind of an introvert. 
Um, a lot of people don't think I'm an introvert. They think I'm an extrovert, and that's I've learned very good well to hide the fact that I'm an introvert. Um, but like, I never go to parties. I've never been to a club. Yes, I have. Like, I've done some college things, of course, but um, I I'm always DD for my friends. Um, I like working alone. So, Bobby, if you if you are an introvert and you don't like going to parties, you know you you like to sort of work on yourself, but somehow you have been able to leverage the networks that you've developed over time to get customers to to grow your business, to grow the communities that you've created. So, do you have any tactics or tools or t- tips about uh, ways that you maintain those networks so that they can pay dividends down the line? Yeah. So. I think that's the number one problem with college students that I've seen um, is the networking thing. Um, and I, honestly, I'm not that great at it either. I've definitely been working on it recently. Uh, but the main thing is, in college right now, you go to this huge networking event with 250 people. Uh, you try to meet as many people as possible for a minute or two and connect with them on LinkedIn and then never talk to them again. That's how most networking happens nowadays, um, which is really sad to say, and I, I don't even consider that networking uh, for the most part. What I do consider as networking and what, I, what I've been trying to do recently is whenever I go to an uh, event, I make sure beforehand, if I can, try to find who I want to meet um, or either go to talks where there's one specific person of focus or a speaker, um, connect with them, talk with them, and then directly after that event, or the day after that event, or some significant thing in their life uh, that's about to happen. For example, um, I uh, was in an event uh, for AKSI, um, the business fraternities that are across the campus uh, at our university, and they had a speaker come in, and he had told us during a speaking event, like, I have this huge interview tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for this large position at AT AT&T. So first thing I did was go on there, and email him and set an email reminder to email him at 10, 10 a.m. the following day, right after his interview. Like, hey, I hope your interview went well this morning. Um, I wanted to grab coffee and then grab coffee with him and see like where you can bounce off of it. Sometimes you're not going to connect with that many people. Uh, I buy a lot of coffee. It's really bad. Um, even though like I work for Red Bull, I shouldn't be buying that much coffee. And that's kind of the biggest way. I, I like face-to-face communication. I like getting on the phone call whenever I can. And just build that initial relationship and then make sure you give something of value to them. And it's kind of like a favor for a favor. You give them a favor. Hopefully you can ask for a favor when you need it and later down the line. Definitely a business strategy. Uh, maybe not everyone will agree with that. Um, that's totally fine. But I think that's the most effective way you can build a huge strong network that you can really uh, depend on and rely on for future uh pathways and future programs because i've gotten so many opportunities just for meeting and talking to people over coffee oh yeah absolutely and even how we met you know as i mentioned we met at south by southwest and you came up to our booth i don't know if you planned to come up to our booth specifically i was there with a education nonprofit, but uh you know when you talked to me we had an in-depth conversation we probably talked for at least 10-15 minutes uh with you and your partner and we established a relationship there, and I felt like we were friends at the end of the conversation. And, of course, 
you know, when we were looking to, uh, I mentioned the podcast to you and uh, when we were looking for a guest, I, I reached out to you and of course you responded right away. So, you know, there was clearly an organic relationship that we built there. Uh, and you're absolutely right. And I think you take 100% the right approach. Meeting people for two seconds and sort of focusing on the value that you can draw out of them is not interesting. Trying to provide value for them, or at the very least, trying to engage and actually create some kind of bond while you're speaking with them is a lot more valuable. And that's what you focus on. And uh, it's it's way more effective than a spray of prey approach. And as you said, you never know, once you start building relationships with people, you never know how it will pay dividends down the line. It's something you absolutely cannot predict. But you yourself have been experiencing that literally since the very beginning, since college, since you developed this massive community. You know, you've been able to kind of tap into people both as you're looking for talent to help you out, as you're looking for customers to, to engage with, like the agencies that refer to your customers and stuff like that. And when people think about when I start a business, you know, where do I start? Well, typically you should start with your own network. It's the easiest place to start. And if you don't have a big network, then uh, then you need to focus on growing one or even go to, you know, your parents' network or whatever it is. It's completely acceptable to start there. As a matter of fact, most successful businesses uh, start off there. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to be successful otherwise. Yeah, and, and the thing for me is like, I'm a year and a half into my business and all of my clients, my whole sales funnel is still, the clients I still had day one, referrals of those clients, and then anyone that just randomly messaged me on Facebook or LinkedIn that needs help with something or someone I've worked with in the past. I still don't do any sales and marketing, period, for my agency. My agency handles maybe a half a million impressions a month for other people's social media. Our own agency doesn't even have social media pages um, because we just don't need to do the marketing ourselves and we're not ready for that or we don't want to because we honestly, we turn down clients because we get too many requests and that's like me having a network like that is really important and honestly, like, yes, a big network is important, but I think the strong network is important as well. So Bobby, you, you remind me of a young Richard Branson. Uh, I don't know if you ever read uh, losing my virginity, but he actually started his first business when he was 14 years old, and it was Student Magazine, and, and he essentially grew a community just like you did. So uh, we have high hopes for you here, and it, it looks like you're well on your way. But my my last question for you is, as we wrap up this interview, is that most people, when they when they think about becoming an entrepreneur or starting a business, they are motivated by money, at least in some way. I mean, especially like the Instagram entrepreneurs that you see out there now uh, peddling their uh, their services. So you were clearly motivated by something a little bit different. And I think that a lot of successful entrepreneurs, uh, keyword here, successful, have some sort of other outside motivators aside from money. So what were those motivators for you? Um, I, I really think like, not only is it just me, I think it's our whole generation. Uh, a lot of people talk about this, like a lot of people in our generation are more motivated by the fact of, fact of like what their impact is and what their long-term influence is. Um, I think it's really easy to see nowadays, like who are you, who are you honestly going to remember? Are you going to rem remember uh, Warren Buffett that made millions of dollars doing stocks? And of course he did a lot um, and influenced a lot of people. But are you going to remember Elon Musk that one day might take us to Mars? Um, 
one that created a whole private industry of rockets. Um, I, I think maybe maybe Warren Buffett wasn't the best example. He's also super influential and a great person. But um, I think the fact is, like, we value your influence and your impact on the whole society as a whole. Like, as a society as a whole, uh, one of my beliefs is, like, we're put on this planet to, like, change other people's lives, uh, not just stick to our own. But you're not. But the thing is, you weren't. You weren't building rocket. I mean, not quite yet, right? So you're you're starting an agency. Uh, you started an agency, right? I mean, there must be days where, especially if you're not paying yourself, where you maybe want to give up, or you are get bored, or want to do something else. So how 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 do you overcome that? What's the internal motivator there? Yeah. So I, I always don't get me wrong. I get bored. I get tired. I get lazy and procrastinate like any other college student. Um, one thing that I think I forgot to mention is like with our agency, our, we use our agency as a catalyst to get students opportunities that they wouldn't, wouldn't usually have. Um, so one thing with our agency is everyone on our team are juniors. They're students that are learning and trying to develop their portfolio and they're passionate about what they're doing. But also some of them don't even look at what they're doing as a career for them. And so our agency is a stepping stone for them to come in, do client work at a low level so that they can build um, up their portfolio. And then we actually have our recruiting network that we partner with uh, 33 companies to directly hire from the school. Um, the fact is I see these students every day um, for the most part and like I see how they're growing. I see their portfolios online. I'm, I'm following on all of them on Instagram and see like, oh, I got a new job opportunity. Getting people jobs, getting people a path without the need of college. Long-term, I want to create this ecosystem and this platform for students to gain experience, gain knowledge, gain skill sets without having to go through college. Of course, not for every degree. I don't want people going through my program to become a doctor or to become a lawyer. I want them to become designers or social media marketers or developers and be able to get amazing, awesome jobs um, through that. All of, our, all of our students are getting jobs at the highest level that any junior developer will get paid um, they're all in the upper 90 percentile and half of them are in the 98th percentile for what they're getting paid as a junior developer, designer, marketer. We are producing the best of the best students and that really, really motivates me to continue. Um, now, of course, I always get distracted. Being in a position that I am, I get a lot of job opportunities and a lot of job, um, job requests. I work for Red Bull part-time right now um, doing brand marketing, but uh, that's I took that job really to learn, and what better company to learn marketing from than Red Bull, one of the biggest catalysts in the world for marketing. And so it's really about prioritizing my opportunities, and also at the same time keeping myself motivated by surrounding myself with amazing people. I still don't take a salary today, sort of like, yeah, if I need money, I'll take money out for gas. But even then, like, I don't take out money directly from the company. I really focus in on the fact of like, how do I give back to the students that are in our program? How do I grow these students to become the leaders of tomorrow? And I think that's what really motivates me today. I, I want to see what I can change in the education space, what I can change in terms of giving these students an opportunity that they've never had before. Now imagine like these students have been able to, fortunate enough to work with Boeing and Uber Eats, these companies that they would never be able to approach as independent freelancers um, or in a regular program. And so like, I think that's what continues to motivate me every day that I can, I work on this and just drive every night and all the late nights that I've, uh, stayed up working on this project. 
You clearly have an incredible story. You know, I hope that this interview, and I'm very confident that this interview is going to motivate other students, uh, whether it's in high school or in college, to be self-starters, to, you know, uh, forget about money for now, focus on doing what it is that makes you happy. Clearly for you, that's been working. You have some intrinsic motivation to keep on going because of this sort of uh, mission, which is to help other students as well but you know you've you've already experienced some success uh sergey and i just through having this conversation with you first of all feel more motivated but also we're confident that you're going to get to that million dollar goal and you'll be able to say to your parents you know what i'm done and i'm out uh with college so that i can focus on this business but one of the things that we talk about is you know you don't necessarily need any entrepreneurial experience because we are born with an entrepreneurial gene for you there was some circumstance there, you know, you were focused on tennis and uh, then you had some injuries or, or whatnot and then you had some free time and you wanted to apply yourself in this way. But, you know, recently we had uh, a guest on the show, Larry Petretti, who started his first business at 55 years old and he grew it to a $90 million company within seven years. And so it doesn't matter how old you are, be bold, try things out and also if you do want to have a job at some point, work for somebody else, look at you. You Just by doing all these different things, you've been able to get this opportunity at Red Bull and you're getting other offers and things like that. And uh, you will always have that option to fall back on because you're building so many amazing skills right now. And to me also, the moral of the story is it's never too early to get started because the earlier you start, the more you can learn from your mistakes and the faster you can, you can actually have a business that's thriving and generating revenue for yourself and adding value and impact to those around you and because you started in high school now you're only 18 years old and you're able to affect so many people in your life and if you continue on this track i think you're going to see great success you already have a revenue generating business it's already very very impressive uh but i think we're there's more to come from bobby thacker bobby thanks so much for being on the show uh, this episode was really exciting to record and we can't wait to publish it awesome thank you so much for the opportunity guys